Thank you, Dave, for that prayer. And thank you, musicians and signers and tech people and all the folks that uh, you don't see all the time who are watching out on your screens. I really like America the Beautiful. I like the second and third verses and the fourth one that we didn't sing <laughs> because they remind me, at least, of a lot of the dreams of many generations and nationalities of immigrants from earliest times in our land's history uh, well into the 20th century. And of course, even after the song was written, immigrants continue and have continued to stream to our land. And at times, in our better moments, we have been a country of hospitality to immigrants. Not everyone, not always, but uh, our theme this morning is one of hospitality. Nikki reminded us that um, we are in a seven-week series, uh, six of those during Carl's sabbatical, thinking about the abundant life, John 10.10, 10, where Jesus said that uh, the thief came to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that people might have life and have it to the full. It's in the context of uh, Jesus calling himself the good shepherd. And in his world, a shepherd primarily was a protector and a provider. And so every one of these uh, sermons in this series picks up on some way in which um, the life that Jesus offers his followers protects and provides and does so lavishly fully and beyond. I don't know what your childhood was like. I have all kinds of diverse memories of mine. But one of them is that my folks like to have friends over for dinner. A lot of them had kids. Most of them were fairly fun playmates for me and my brother. And I knew I could always count on one of my mom's best meals. I puzzled at how adults after we ate could just sit around and talk, do nothing else. Um, <laughs> although once in a while they would play games and, and I remember being absolutely bewildered even as a young adult, um, at one of the games they played, I had learned quite a few, but there was this thing called bridge. And some of you will remember it, and others will have to ask your grandparents about it. But um, my folks also loved to have um, Mexican immigrants over. Oh, and occasionally from other Spanish-speaking countries, but a majority were Mexican. Not because we lived in a neighborhood with a number of them, but because my dad was uh, the Spanish teacher at our local high school. And uh, 
He was an outgoing, gregarious kind of person who uh, loved to meet new folks and realized that as a gringo, uh, a lot of his language was uh, book learning and the more he could pick up from native speakers, especially slang and, and expressions that maybe distinguished one Spanish-speaking country from another, the better teacher he would be. And there was something I always noticed. Some of my parents' friends, if uh, they invited um, people over, would be thankful, but uh, we wouldn't necessarily hear from them again. The uh, Spanish-speaking people, however long or short they had lived in our Midwestern town, always invited us back. Even though usually their homes were considerably poor, and my folks did not have a lot of money, we were middle class, lower middle class at best, but their homes were often much poorer, different part of town, run down, a little more dangerous perhaps. But oh my goodness, were we welcomed. And we got real Mexican food. <laughs> None of this Tex-Mex stuff. It, it was fabulous. And that's an experience that in my adult life has been duplicated time and again as Fran and I have had the privilege of traveling the world. Consistently, it's people in poor countries or poor neighborhoods of more diverse countries who have overflowed in their hospitality, giving beyond what was comfortable for them to give to make sure that their guests had the very best they could possibly provide. There is a little book. I don't know if you've ever read it. If the pages of your Bible stick together, you might not know it exists. I believe I found a website that said it had 218 words in it. The shortest book in the New Testament by word count. And it's the third of three letters that the apostle John wrote tucked just a couple of pages before the beginning of the book of Revelation at the end of your New Testament, if you're searching for it. It's a book, a letter, all about hospitality. And it's short enough that we can read the whole thing. And I invite you, if you have a Bible in any form, hard copy or digital, to follow along. 3 John, it's not even divided into chapters, just verses, beginning at verse 1. The elder. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. 
I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful to what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. The book, the little letter, is basically about three people. The first one is a man named Gaius. If you pronounce it in Greek, it's Gaius. Maybe we should say it that way. But I grew up learning it the other way. If church tradition can be believed, this is John the Apostle who also wrote a gospel bearing his name, three letters, and the book of Revelation. But here, like in 2 John, right before it, he introduces himself simply as the elder, a term which in his world referred both to age and to some authority and responsibility. He writes to a beloved or dear friend, Gaius. And he says that he loves him in the truth. An interesting pair of qualities that we don't always think about together in the same breath. Some people always tell the truth but aren't necessarily very loving. Some people are wonderfully loving, but they believe anything. <laughs> and John, in several verses in the first half of this letter, stresses that we need both as believers. Love without truth degenerates into mere sentimentality. And truth without love is cold, even harsh. And neither approach typically can bring anybody to the Lord. 
John goes on, verse 2, with a remarkable prayer that you, Gaius, may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. In other words, he is praying for Gaius's physical health to reflect, to match, to be of the same quality as his spiritual health. Not long after World War II, a man by the name of Oral Roberts, who started one uh, brand of uh, charismatic Christian ministry in the United States, and eventually it spread to around the world, was reading this book and took this verse as a kind of theme verse for his ministry, but missed the comparison. And he just focused on the prayer for physical health and began a ministry. He has passed away now, but one of his uh, spiritual disciples, Kenneth Hagin, is still, as a, an older man, preaching the same message, and countless other followers in what's sometimes called uh, uh, seed word ministry or the prosperity gospel have claimed that God wants everybody to be physically healthy just as he wants them to be spiritually healthy. But the term that can be translated just as here means to the same degree, to the same extent as, in the same manner. This is actually a rather remarkable prayer that I'm not sure I would always want somebody to pray over me. I pray that your physical health is as good as your spiritual health. Oh, how am I doing recently? Is that, uh, is that a desirable prayer or not? Remarkable compliment to Gaius. And then John moves in to the heart of his letter. Gaius is a wonderful model for hospitality. Verses 3 to 8 bring out the details. First, he focuses on the truth side of what he's just talked about. Verse 3, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. And not just faithfulness, but telling how you continue to walk in it. Not just holding correct, solid, orthodox doctrine and being faithful to that, but basing one's life as one goes about one's daily activities, walking through life based on the truth. Do we sometimes think about the truth on Sunday morning and then just act like we always do after church for the rest of the week? Or does what we learn and have learned in church affect and change how we live our lives? And then John makes another remarkable statement in verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Oh my goodness. What gives you the greatest joy? <laughs> a great meal? <laughs> a wonderful vacation? Time with 
children or grandchildren who haven't been around recently, those are all good things. What about spiritual ministry? Well, yes, I, I have great joy when someone close to me who's fallen away from the Lord comes back, especially if they're a child or grandchild or a relative of some kind. But can I say that the thing that gives me greatest joy of all that I do in life is hearing about people I don't even necessarily know who are living godly, faithful, believing lives. We're distracted by so many other penultimate goods, but not the ultimate ones. So verses 3 and 4 start off with Gaius' faithfulness to the truth, but then John spends more time speaking about his faithfulness to love, the quality that has to be balanced with truth, and how that faithfulness in love issues in hospitality. You are faithful, verse 5, in what you do and what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, fellow believers, even though they are strangers to you, people coming from other communities, the, the Ephesian Christians where John was in ministering, don't necessarily know. They, those strangers, have told the church about your love. So keep it up, please, and thank you. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. In the ancient world, there were no holiday inns. <laughs> there were inns. But if you were a respectable person and could find a relative or a friend to stay with, that was much preferable than staying in the public places of lodging because they tended to be hotbeds of theft and prostitution. Christians, as this fledgling religion grew, had the additional challenge when they traveled of being seen at best as somehow weird because they had left either a Jewish or a Greco-Roman religious background of some kind. And at worst, downright dangerous because by not worshiping the gods of the state, the gods of Rome, some saw them as a threat to the peace and unity of the Roman Empire. So it was all the more crucial that traveling Christians, particularly traveling Christians performing some kind of ministry, would have a safe and welcoming place to spend the night, to spend a few days, to be helped along the way to their next destination, which often included a certain amount of, of material provisions so that they could get to their Next stop, Gaius has a wonderful track record for doing this. And more people are coming to Ephesus, and so John is saying, please, keep it up. Gaius is a wonderful model. 
Our world is a little different. I've never been robbed, maybe you have, at a Holiday Inn. Never been consciously aware of a prostitute, though I think I might once or twice, though at some other hotel chain, <laughs> seen somebody bringing one in, but not in a way that tempted me. And yet, we still need Christian hospitality. Those who travel and don't have the budget to stay in nice accommodations. Those who are visiting from other and often poorer countries. Immigrants who have just moved to the area until they find a decent place to live in many other situations. It's interesting how John ends this section in verses 7 and 8 when he says, it was for the sake of the name, the name of the Lord, that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. John Stott, in his little commentary on the epistles of John, has a wonderful statement to the effect that Christians can support many good causes, but they should especially support fellow needy Christians and other Christian ministries to whom the world should not be expected to support doesn't mean we can't receive gifts from well-wishers who aren't in our faith, but we shouldn't expect it or count on it or demand it. Gaius is a wonderful model of hospitality. I wish the story ended there. But there's a second character, a man by the name of Diotrephes, who is the exact nefarious opposite, the arch enemy from John's perspective of his emphasis on hospitality. We wish we knew more about him. John says in verse nine, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes who loves to be first will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he is both unloving, not welcoming, and untruthful. He's spreading lies. The, the expression that John uses that the NIV translates as malicious nonsense um, can be translated several ways. Um, it's hard to know which is best. One translation says uh, unjustified charges and another spiteful accusations or even groundless gossip. 
But the point is clear. He's not telling the truth, and it's hurting people. Is the only problem that he loves to be first? It might be. There have been countless, sadly, there have been countless Christian leaders throughout history who have loved to be the top dog, the person in charge, who have overextended the role of a lead pastor. And sooner or later, made life miserable for a lot of folks. Even if simply because he didn't have or she didn't have enough accountability surrounding them when they went astray. It may be that there's more than that going on because if you read 1st and 2nd and 3rd John back to back to back and assume a, a chronological sequence, which we don't know for sure, but, but does seem likely, 1st John talks about false teachers who went out from us, chapter 2, verse 19 of 1st John. And John says they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would have remained. And then in chapter 4, he talks about the criterion for recognizing true versus false teachers. It's those who say, Jesus has come in the flesh. You go, well, yeah, he was a human. What? What else could he have come in? Today, we often have trouble with Jesus' divinity, but there was a group of people at the end of the first century and for the next couple of centuries in the Greco-Roman world who had a problem with the idea of a God or God becoming human because they believed that the material world was inherently evil and a God can't partake of evil. So, Jesus only seemed to be human was their viewpoint. And maybe Diotrephes has bought into some of that. We don't know. It could explain why he seems to be as unloving as he is even while being a Christian leader. Maybe he's convinced that John is the one who's unorthodox and we need to protect our church from that. And those within the church who are siding with John, <laughs> if they don't change their ways, time to get rid of them. Wouldn't be the only time in Christian history something has gone that terribly wrong. At any rate, what we're to learn from Diotrephes is ridiculously simple. <laughs> don't be like that. Don't imitate people like that. Rather, imitate people like our third character, character about whom we know the least of all of these three individuals, a man named Demetrius. There are a couple of other characters by the name of Demetrius in the New Testament, but there's no secure way to associate this one with either of them, necessarily. And so we're left with what we read here 
In verse 12, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. <laughs> really, everyone? I don't think I've met a person in the world or heard of one in world history who was well spoken of by everyone. But then we have to remember that people in the ancient world, like people today, often use everyone just to mean a whole lot of folks. <laughs> in fact, sometimes, if you've had kids, you know that everybody's doing it means at least my two best friends. <laughs> There's probably more than that here, but it may not have included outsiders to the faith, although oftentimes, Christians can be well-spoken of, and deservedly so by outsiders, but probably won't continue forever. Probably wouldn't have included Diotrephes and anybody who associated with him, but in general, John, his associates, the people that Gaius knows in his house church, and a whole lot of others around the early Christian world said, Demetrius, is worthy of welcome. Maybe he is the man who brought the letter that John has written to Gaius. And so John says already in verse 11, you'll see that I put verse 11 with both sections because there's overlap here. Don't imitate what's bad, imitate what's good. Demetrius is someone we can imitate. We can welcome, we should welcome. Demetrius is such a person. And then he says goodbye. That's basically my summary of the last two verses. I don't know. I, I, never, I never thought to ask while my parents were alive. So I don't know how much of their hospitality stemmed from explicitly Christian motivation or if they just like people. Probably it was some of each. But I know that it had a wonderful effect on me. And from even when we were engaged, Fran and I, and throughout now our 40 years of marriage, hard to believe as it is that there have been that many, we have loved to entertain. We have loved to have folks over or take them out. Try not to keep track of who invites us back. <laughs> Every now and then my mother did do that, and I thought that was kind of cheating. But hospitality goes far beyond just getting together with people over a meal and some conversation. I've learned it is fun to just sit and talk. You don't have to play a game. And I've never learned bridge. But there are people in our world, especially immigrants, especially newcomers, especially people who are different from us, Carl has so rightly been emphasizing through interviews with Black Covenant pastors, through illustrations in his messages, in this time of renewed racial tension, the 
the need for us to intentionally seek out people who are different than us and extend hospitality to them as well, of different races, different ethnic backgrounds, not necessarily believers. How will people know the love of Christ who are not believers unless they get to know some believers fairly well? But Carl has also stressed, and, and I agree 150%, that uh, as hospitality in the ancient world generally involved some financial support, that we need to be generous in supporting our local church, but also other individuals, other ministries that are dear to our heart, that we have some connection with. There's no tithe in the New Testament. That's too little for most affluent Christians, in my opinion. We need to be giving above and beyond if we are going to be said to be generous, which is the consistent New Testament term for Christian giving, including hospitality. But we're under COVID. We can't even go to church. How can we be hospitable? Well, if you're listening to this, you know the answer. It involves a screen. <laughs> and you know how to communicate. Even if it's not ideal, it's a whole lot better than nothing. And for people who don't have screens, there's something old-fashioned that I know millennials hate, but some of us grew up with it. It's called a telephone. It's, it's not that horrible, actually. We have unprecedented technology that allows us to be in touch with others. Even if you're in total lockdown, is our attitude one of Oh, woe is me, when will I get out? Or how much can I do, even in the situation I find myself in now, for others who are even worse off? If not physically, perhaps then emotionally or spiritually. Would you be willing to ask the Lord this week, today, as a preparation for communion, who you can reach out to and show some form of hospitality to that you haven't done so with recently. Shall we pray? Father, you have lavished your hospitality and fellowship on us utterly undeserving sinners. Help us to reflect just a little bit of that in our dealings with people around us, the caregivers, the service people, the folks we tend to ignore because they're just doing their job. Can we show some thanks and gratitude to them? Where there's openness, could we begin a friendship 
or three. For people we can be in touch with electronically, even if not in person. Help us seek to love others rather than wondering who will seek to love us. And sometimes we find the two go together. Thank you for the chance to worship this 4th of July weekend in as much independence spiritually as we've ever had. And a church that's big enough for us to live stream a handful of people leading worship to create the feeling that we are in church. But help us remember that ultimately the church is the people. So help us figure out how to initiate connections, even during COVID, safe connections, wise connections, but ones that will encourage and bless others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.